This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is habitat and small game biologist Rick Hamrick. The world belongs to the squirrels on our show today. What if you always wanted to know about squirrels, maybe about their life cycle, or the types of squirrels we have here in Mississippi? You can join your conversation this morning. Give us a call. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 672 Or you can send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today, habitat and small game biologist Rick Hamrick. The world belongs to squirrels on our show this morning. What have you always wanted to know about squirrels? Maybe their life cycle or the types of squirrels we have here in Mississippi or what they eat. You can join our conversation this morning. Give us your questions and comments by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday mornings, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, Libby, I think uh, you've been uh, trying to find some things uh, to update us on events uh, that are coming up at the museum. Yeah, Uh my, but this is one of my reminders. Even though it's cool outside, this is a wonderful time to be outdoors. Uh, I can pretty much tell you no mosquitoes, right? <laughs> uh, there's still ticks, so watch out for that. But um, great time to go on um, walk in the woods wherever you find woods. And if you don't have your own, the Flores Bluff State Park or any of, the, of our other beautiful state parks or wildlife management areas. Uh, and of course, the Museum of Natural Science has a great trail to walk on. Goosebumps exhibit is going to be there through December. So you got a little more time to go see it. If you have not seen it, please go once. If you have, you might want to go back for a second trip or bring some out-of-town guests. And then tomorrow, December the 2nd, Friday, from 10 to 12, is Snowflake Christmas. And it's a hands-on 
getting, you know, getting to do art activities and science activities about snow, and you'll learn what hot snow is. Uh-huh. So I might have to pass by there just to figure out about hot snow. You would think if we had snow in Mississippi, it would be hot snow. <laughs> yes, that's, it might be the only kind we're going to have. I think they also do some fun stuff with dry ice, which is uh, another yes. weird thing, and you don't want to play around with that too much at home. <laughs> so it's nice to do it with supervision at the museum. Yes. And then Cajun Christmas is uh, Friday, December the 9th, and we can talk about that more next week. All right. Sounds good. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today we're going to be talking about squirrels, but also we always like to hear uh, your pet questions for sure for Dr. Major, but also any uh, wildlife questions or observations that you might want to share with us. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Again, our, our guest is uh, uh, small game biologist Rick Hamrick. Rick, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, a lot of times I think most folks that we talk to uh, seem to have a, a childhood where they love to go out in the outdoors, out exploring, that sort of thing. Is, is Was that your experience also? That was. Um, I guess part of my kind of background becoming a wildlife biologist uh kind of grew up around it a little bit my father was a wildlife biologist and so just kind of had a little bit of a an upbringing around it there and of course like you say like a lot of us that get into this field um you know like to kind of kick around outdoors enjoy enjoy hunting fishing various outdoor activities and so all of that was of course uh, a motivation but um as well just uh enjoy the some of the habitat management, the wildlife management sides of it, some of the some of the little puzzle things and all that kind of come along along with it were were really interesting to me as well, and kind of kind of shaped my decision. So, what about small game? Is that something you've always been interested in, or is that just kind of where you've gravitated to? Well, it um, sort of sort of grew into it a bit, I guess. Um, you know, that's what's what I really enjoyed as far as some of the recreational things uh, I would do as a as a young young man. Um, some of the first things I started out with is in the hunting and things like that, like a lot of a lot of young people do when they get into hunting. Um, uh, you know, that was a real interest to me and um, sort of developed a little bit along the way uh, in college. Got to be a little bit of a, an interest to me. I worked on a, on a quail research project and kind of got interested in that and, and did my master's work uh, along some of those lines. And so... Um, sort of just sort of grew into it a little bit. All right. So we're going to be talking squirrels throughout the hours. If you have a question for Rick about squirrels, you can give us a call. Again, uh, Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions as well. We do have an early caller on the line, so we start our show off in Ridgeland as we say good morning to Hugh. Hello, Hugh. How are you this morning? Good. What do you have for us? Um, when I was a young fellow, my father used to uh, take me squirrel hunting, and he told me that... Um, uh, the squirrel season was set at a specific time of year because the squirrels uh, had some sort of a parasite uh, that looked like some sort of a burrowing-type worm. My dad called them wolves. Now, I don't know quite what that meant. Maybe that was an old-timer's term. I'm not sure. And I was just wondering if you guys could expand on that just a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's actually something we probably we're going to kind of hit on here today and so that's a, okay. a, a good good question go ahead and, and get started off um, uh, that is the uh, butt fly larvae that okay. uh, you encounter with that um, 
what that particular little critter does is uh, it's a fly. They lay some eggs uh, kind of along uh, trees, different areas around where squirrels may be hanging out. Um, some other rodents get them as well, um, but uh, a lot of folks do notice them in squirrels because with the hunter harvest and, uh, you know, yes, being, being right there with them. So um, those little eggs get into the squirrel there. They kind of navigate through. They get up under the skin, and that little larvae develops under there under the skin. And... Um, you know, it takes maybe a month or so, and then they they emerge out of there. It's a, it's an ugly looking little little spot yes, on the on yes, the skin I there. I remember seeing that when I was a little boy, and, mm-hmm. and it looked pretty gross. Yes, sir. It does. I mean, it okay. looks it looks bad, but it's really it's nothing that's that harmful to the squirrel, okay. uh, unless it's just a really severe infestation, maybe some secondary infection type of things occasionally. But um, generally, doesn't really harm the squirrel. It's the meat is safe to use, so there's no reason to throw the meat away. Okay. You know, if there's a little bad looking spot that could be cut away, but the meat's perfectly perfectly usable, and so we encourage folks, you know, not to not to waste that meat. Um, you can yes, sir. Perfectly fine to go ahead and use it. So, well, thank you very much for answering my question today. It was a pleasure talking to you, sir. All right, thanks thank for the call. Incidentally, we do see uh, the same type uh, uh, bite fly in kittens, especially, uh, and sometimes they can be quite large uh, compared to the size of the kitten, and can cause some. Uh, what shall I say? Uh, infection because of that. I have. Uh, pulled one or two out of a kitten probably that were the size of the end of your small finger and uh got a display of them at the clinic but they're pretty gross uh but that is uh not unusual to see in kittens uh and usually it's around the head and neck is where we see them in a the kitten but but you said they actually like burrow out from under the squirrel skin that's right um you know one thing they'll have like a little little hole there right at the surface of the skin that's where that little larvae breathes and so then they wind up emerging out of that that area up under the skin there and again they can be fairly fairly good size Um, you'll see those little emergent spots sometimes and you know even if they've already come out you may still see a little bit of a, a redness and all there sometimes where they do emerge and and then going on about their life cycle. Tell a story uh, on my husband. He, okay. he raised one. We brought one home from Costa Rica in Paul's arm once, and it, uh, he he went ahead and kept it until it emerged because David Watts was doing the Mississippi Outdoors magazine at the time, and they decided to do a story on it. So David took a picture of Paul's arm every week, wow. and he has and no ill effects whatsoever. Actually, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good symbiotic relationship. Yeah. I guess, and uh, maybe he was just lucky that it didn't cause an infection right. or anything. But very common in Central America, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, horses, cattle, and uh, there is a species in cattle. We call it the heel fly. Uh, they'll literally chase the cattle around, but it da- does damage the hide, uh, marketable hide on the cattle, oh. because they may have. Uh, large numbers of those grubs or bot flies. Yeah, I would hate to have more than one. We had stayed on a, a, a farm that had cows and horses, and that was... Right. It uh, uh, sounds like a science fiction movie there. Yeah. We've got another caller on the line. Let's go to Daphne, Alabama, as we say good morning to Damaris. Go ahead, please. Hello? Hi. Yeah, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, I'm just wondering if you can give me a solution to the squirrels that come in on the electric line up to the my roof to chew a um, hole in the soffit and get into my attic. Uh, it was a 
afraid I might, <laughs> might get that one. Um, <laughs> and that, that's that's a very pretty frequent uh, question we'll get a lot of times. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's not a lot of good uh, remedies to that, I guess. Uh, squirrels can be quite tenacious. They decide they want to get into something. They're, you know, pretty bad to chew on things, as we all kind of find out a lot of times. But, um uh, you know, probably the best thing, I guess, is once they're in there is maybe trying to get somebody that um, is permitted to do some removals. You know, you're, you're kind of limited in some of the things you can do. There's not really any toxicants or anything like that. They're going to be registered for for removing. And, of course, a lot of people don't want to don't want to harm the animals anyway. But, um, you know, maybe getting somebody in there to try to trap it and move it out and then obviously getting it sealed up. That's going to be first and foremost, um, you know, trying to prevent and find where they're getting in, get that fixed up, maybe even. Um, maybe trying to maybe even use some materials or something if you're having problems with chewing trying to maybe get something in there that's less prone to to them chewing and getting into it's it's a really difficult problem i mean there's there's not a whole lot of um you know things i guess i've got that's hard and fast they're going to work again they're kind of kind of tenacious at times if they want to get into something they're going to be really persistent sometimes and so um, just trying to kind of prevent that damage, prevent them from getting in, get everything sealed up is is really the you know the main thing I could recommend there. So, right. hardware cloth that looks a little like chicken wire, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I've seen people yeah. use successfully. Yeah, some metals and things that are more difficult for them to try to try to chew through and expand holes. Uh, but it looks like uh, we're, the suggestion might be to try to find someone in your area that uh, will help remove that. And I guess that's as common a problem that is. It's probably not too difficult to find someone who's in that business of, of squirrel removal. In, in certain areas, um, I know our Jackson office here keeps some lists of folks that are permitted to do the, the trappings and things like that. That when folks have a animal issue in the house there, um, you know, unfortunately we just... Uh, we're not set up to do that as an agency just because of the, the time demands that would require. It's just, just, you know, it was more than we could, could get to. And so we wind up permitting those some of those folks to do that as a service. And so um, we generally try to recommend folks, you know, if it's not something they can do themselves. Um, in some cases, there may be instances where the homeowner can do some things themselves. Um, but, you know, in some situations, you may need to get somebody to to look at that profession. Yeah, if you had so. to do it yourself, you could order a live trap probably online. Mm-hmm. That's not too hard to to set. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue talking about squirrels with our guest, small game biologist Rick Hamrick. Dr. Major uh, is here as well if you have a pet question, and we always like to hear uh, wildlife questions and observations. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. for MPB comes from the nonprofit brand Gulf States Policy Research and Analysis to help Gulf Coast communities improve education and health care. 
protect the environment, and prepare for disasters. Learn more at rand.org slash gulfstates. This is an important message for all MPB viewers who use an antenna to receive MPB TV. On Monday, December 12th, our Dot One and Dot Two channels will change. MPB HD will move to Dot One. A brand new 24-7 children's channel, PBS Kids, will premiere soon on Dot Two. Subchannels Dot Three and Four will continue to carry Create TV and MPB Think Radio just as before. Cable and satellite viewers shouldn't be affected. If you have questions, please visit our website at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with uh, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest today is small game biologist Rick Hamrick. So today we're talking about squirrels, also looking for pet questions, wildlife questions, and observations. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Let's head back to the phone lines. We'll begin again in Alabama. Lewis has called in today. Good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. I've got um, two things. First, the previous caller was asking about somebody to do wildlife removal for squirrels in her attic, and she's in Daphne. I know there's a real good company down in Fairhope, Alabama, just down the road called Wildlife Solutions. Okay. And um, they do that kind of work. And the second... I'd like the, the squirrel biologist to talk about the island effect and inbreeding of squirrels in populations like in city parks and other places where they're cut off from the rest of the squirrel population. Okay. Um, yeah, I believe I do recognize that company you mentioned there. I believe we do have them permitted. Uh, it's one of our, our folks there in our, our particular office here. And of course, uh, depending on what state you're in, you can probably call your state agency to, to look into things like that. And so uh, comment on the um, squirrels in the parks um, being kind of isolated. Uh, I'm not really aware that they're that terribly isolated in a lot of these areas. Um, not to say possibly that they couldn't be, but... Um, uh, I'm not sure that that's so much of an issue with those. I think there's probably enough um, movement back and forth between some populations. Um, you know, they they can move a pretty good distance. Um, you know, they may get a little bit isolated in some areas, but um, the gray squirrel especially, and uh, we may talk about some of the differences in types of squirrels we have, but um, gray squirrels are typically what you're going to have in, in a lot of these urban areas, and um, they, they can move a pretty good bit. Um, and so I... I don't know that that's really going to be too much of an issue with those. I think there's individuals that kind of can move in and out of there. Um, even though they seem to be kind of cut off, I think there's probably still enough individuals that move back back and forth through there. That that's not too much of an issue. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for your You're call. Uh, let's move on next. We've got um, Chad on the line from Macon. Good morning, Chad. Good morning. Go ahead. Um, I have a quick question about the um, dietary, uh, actually what squirrels eat or small game. We have an abundance of uh, the yellow buckeye here in Knoxville County, and I was wondering if there's any use for them. I know there's no, there's no use for human consumption, but I was wondering about the animals. Okay, uh, a little bit on the squirrel diet there. Um, I'm not familiar with them eating buckeye. Um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of stuff utilizing that. I was thinking those may be poisonous, but... Um, 
Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure on that specific one, but um, I've not never really noticed a lot of use on those from squirrels. Um, uh, well, I've not directly observed any, but um, to my knowledge, they don't really use those. But um, squirrels will eat a really wide variety of things. Um, you know, of course, everybody's pretty familiar with acorns and hickory nuts, those kind of hard mass sort of things that uh, squirrels utilize a lot. And pecans, unfortunately, if we're trying to grow them, <laughs> we often lose a lot of those to the squirrels. But, um, you know, those are really highly, highly preferred foods in the fall. Um, um, you know, a lot of things they're going to use through the year, though, when those uh, nut crops start to dry up in the spring, they're going to move to bark and twigs, um, you know, little little sapling, new buds and growth that are coming out in the spring. They'll utilize that, even the bark off of some, some young stuff on trees. Um, uh, of course, fruits, when they start to come in through the spring and summer, a wide variety of fruits that they utilize. And, and even insects and, and eggs, they'll actually depredate bird nests in some cases and, and get eggs. They're pretty pretty opportunistic feeders. Um, you know, they'll, they'll dig up grubs and, and different things uh, to, to utilize. So, again, pretty wide variety in their diet, uh, but typically mostly fruits and nuts and those kind of things but um, seeds but uh, again they'll utilize some animal foods as well um, and even mushrooms and different fungi they'll they'll utilize those as well so again they, they have a pretty wide variety uh, in their diet there a lot of folks kind of just just think about them eating the, the acorns and nuts and things but they do have a very wide uh, wide diet of course pine seed uh, you know right before the kind of the hunting season a lot of folks you'll start to notice those pine cones stripped and cut and maybe making a mess in your yard and all <laughs> over the place there with those scales but but pine seeds are pretty important important food to them at certain times of the year there especially late summer um, they'll utilize those pine seeds uh, kind of right before the acorns and everything else get get really get ripening up. And, yeah, sometimes it's a little like rain watching the little <laughs> things come down where the squirrels are working in yeah. the tops of the trees. I believe the buckeye, though, the yellow buckeye would be poisonous. I know it is to people, but uh, probably to animals as well. That's, that's what I would have thought, too. I've seen, uh, I've seen multiple uh yellow buckeyes half-eaten on top of stumps, and I manage a pretty good area of property here in northeastern Knoxville County, and I was wondering if there was anything that eats them that you know of, because I would love to set up some sort of uh, uses for them. I've got mounds and mounds of them. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, Chandler, we'll throw that open. If anybody knows uh, what might eat uh, the yellow buckeye, we will uh, have them give a call in. Thanks for your call. Uh, let's move on next. We have got uh, Steve on the line from Slidell. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Go ahead. There was uh, there were several remarks about squirrels in the attic and so forth. I had a a, a similar problem with a uh, an outside shed where they were getting in. And I thought I had everything sealed up. What we did is we spread a, a half a box of mothballs through the shed. That drove them out. And once they were out, we did find a place where uh, where they were getting in, and we did use hardware cloth there. We've also used uh, mothballs in the attic at one time several years ago. Um, you know, you hate to seal one up and have it <laughs> have it sealed up inside the attic, but uh, if you can go ahead and, and spread mothballs around, uh, especially if you can find where they might be trying to make a nest or something, uh, they will vacate the premises, and at that point, then, of course, you can seal it up and be sure you don't have one locked inside. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good point. You you 
that's the last thing you want is to be <laughs> locked in the house with a with a hungry mad squirrel. Yeah. yeah. Well, the mothballs do work, and it'll keep them out as as, as long as the mothballs are are able to put out uh, a, a strong enough odor. But when they start evaporating to the point where uh, they weaken, um, the squirrels will. As you say, being very opportunistic, they'll be coming right back. All right, uh, Steve, uh, thanks very much for your call. Uh, earlier, Chad had called in and, and talked to asked us about Buckeyes. I did a quick search here on Google, and uh, this article from, I think, uh, the Columbus Dispatch is saying that squirrels are the only animals that will eat Buckeyes. Now, again, I don't know enough about Buckeyes to know are there a number of different varieties or whatever, but... Um, just kind of skimming through this article, it looks like uh, maybe maybe the squirrels would eat the yellow buckeyes. So, uh, Chad, maybe you might want to do a little bit of experimenting there. Uh, why don't we go ahead? Next, we've got Joe on the line, who's called in from Brookhaven today. Good morning, Joe. Uh, good morning. Go ahead. Okay, I got a question. When I was young, he used to squirrel hunt all the time. And sometimes we would catch the younger male squirrels, and they were castrated. And I, my grandfather would tell us that the older male squirrels would do that to, you know, I guess like lions kill, you know, committing fantasy that they would do that to basically to make sure that they had all the female squirrels to themselves, I guess. Yeah. Rick, okay. Um, I've heard that too. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not real sure about that. Um, uh, you know, it's not something I really looked that deep into. Uh, again, I've always heard that too, but um, I don't know how widespread that would be if it does happen. Um, you know, I, some of it could possibly be maybe they were just really young males that maybe haven't fully developed yet. You know, it could have been a possibility that that might have been some of what was being mistaken too sometimes for for um, being thought of as castration, but it's actually just very young young individuals um potentially maybe that just haven't quite developed yet too that may just you know didn't have the noticeable um parts there that you were you would associate there and so it's possible that some of that could have been going on too so okay um, all right joe uh, thanks for the call we got another caller on the line uh, by the way before we go there a reminder that uh, we've got some open phone lines so if you'd like to join in with questions and comments about squirrels your pets or wildlife give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring our number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four next we're going to mary who's called in from oxford today good morning mary Good morning. I wanted to uh, let people know what happened to me one time. My car was having difficulty, and I took it to the uh, mechanic, and he fussed around making different tests. And I went out to watch, and I found some string from a hammock. <laughs> uh, a squirrel had made a nest in the uh, engine, on top of the engine, hmm. and it wasn't working. And... Um, I asked uh, my car insurance if they would help pay for it. No, they couldn't, but my house insurance did. So <laughs> I thought that might be helpful to some people. But I have a question. I was picking up some hickory nuts the other day, and I remember when I was a child how hard they are to break. How in the world can a squirrel break a hickory nut? And I'll hang up for the answer. All right. Thanks for your call, Mary. Well, they chew through those things, uh, amazingly. <laughs> uh, they are quite hard, even um, walnuts, black walnuts. You know, squirrels will chew through those, probably fox squirrels a little more than, than grays, but I have seen gray squirrels that are just, they're very persistent if they want to get in there. Um, it's probably a probably pretty high 
um, nutrient value meat, nut meat there that they're, they, they'll expend that effort to get to that. It's probably high in oils and different things that are that are beneficial to them that they, they want to get back. And again, it's uh, squirrels have very strong jaws. Um, and so if you ever have one, don't, you know, a situation where you can pick it up, be very cautious and would advise you not to pick it up because they have a very substantial bite. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, I would think that probably like other uh, rodents that they have to chew or their teeth will they, overgrow. They do. That's and, right. Uh, so it's, it's almost like they're commanded mm-hmm. <laughs> to chew and they can be, uh, unfortunately we've seen some that are pets and invariably somebody's going to get bitten. Yes. And uh, it, it's just a matter of time and uh, they, uh, they can deliver quite a bite. They do. We need to take another break. When we get back, we've got some more callers on the line. So we'll get to those calls, and we've got room for your call as well. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Squirrels, our topic this morning, and the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send us an email, animals, at mpbonline.org. Back with more of the program after this. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Lab-grown diamonds are getting better and bigger. As stones made by science penetrate the jewelry market, will natural gemstones hold their shine? I think there'll always be a distinction between what came out of the ground, what took millions and millions of years to make, and what was made in the last 72 hours. I'm Ari Shapiro, redefining the diamond market, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield and Dr. Troy Major. Our guest today, small game biologist Rick Hamrick. Uh, We're talking about squirrels today. It's been a popular day on the phone, so let's go back to the phone lines, beginning again in Mendenhall as we say good morning to Owen. Hello, Owen. Uh, Good morning. How are you? We're doing good. What do you have for us? Well, I have two questions. Uh, About four or five years ago, I lived in northern Virginia, and... uh, through the, the media, I learned of this uh, albino squirrel colony in northern Maryland. 
And I was just curious if we have anything like that identified in Mississippi. And the second question is, is what are the regulations on uh, live trapping squirrels and to relocate them? Uh, I'd love to have some black squirrels on my property, but I don't. I just have gray squirrels and a few uh, red squirrels. Okay. Uh, a couple of different questions there. I'll try to kind of go through here on um, the colorations. Um, you know, uh, in Mississippi, we've got a couple different squirrels that have a little bit different body colorations. Um, you know, the, kind of mentioned the red squirrel that you know is the fox squirrel. Uh, a lot of people refer to it as, as the red squirrel. Um, and um, there actually is a species of red squirrel further west, but, um, you know, that's just kind of a local common name for our fox squirrel here. And there are several different subspecies of those um, throughout the country. And uh, actually got two different subspecies here. And so the the uh, in the delta, we have the, the fox squirrel uh, that utilizes some of those areas. Uh, and they have a red and a black color phase. Um, and, of course, the gray squirrel that everybody's kind of familiar with is the grayish, kind of grizzled, almost deer-colored sort of sort of fur. Um, and then our, our upland fox squirrel, the Bachman fox squirrel, um, that inhabits more of the, the hill country outside of the delta uh, in certain types of habitat. They're a little more of a specialist in, in kind of some of their habitat use, but um, they'll have multicolorations. They'll have white, white patches and uh, little black patches and different things that almost uniquely identify a lot of those individuals. And so a lot of color variation amongst the, 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 the species. Um, and then even within, um, you'll see in gray squirrels, um, white colors a lot of people call it albino but a lot of them really aren't true albinos they're um, just a white white colored squirrel um, and um, um, a lot of that's just kind of genetic expression um, the genes that tell those um, hairs to be a certain color happen to turn out to be mostly white and so you get at some individuals that are that um, you get some gray squirrels that are black you don't see a lot of black gray squirrels down here um, but there is some little subpopulations i believe in illinois or indiana or somewhere there's a little kind of subpopulation of black gray squirrels and so for whatever reason some of those little things kind of show up but um again you may not see it may happen a little more frequently as far as some of those individuals kind of being white colored um you know we usually get a report of somebody uh, harvesting a kind of a white squirrel most every every season but um of course they're going to be a little bit at a disadvantage um you know as far as they're not going to have the camouflage that the others will and so um and so you may not see see some of those just because they don't don't survive as long. But uh, again, there can be a lot of variation there in in the coloration. Um, and then the the second part of the question was about the live um, trap. The live trap. Um, on that, um, you technically are not supposed to live trap and move wild animals uh, like that. Um, um, there may be situations where you can get a permit to uh, to deal with some nuisance uh, or, or conflict problem animals or something like that. Generally, we try to try to avoid having to do too much special stuff there. But there may be some instances where there's some special permits that might be granted if you've got a real conflict situation that needs to be remedied. But in general, um, there's not you know it's not legal to trap and move move wildlife. Um, and as far as introducing new ones like that, it's maybe a situation there where um, they're not going to fit that area anyway. You know, a lot of people say, you know, it'd be great to have some black squirrels over here. But, you know, that's our Delta subspecies. And so once you're outside of the Delta uh, in general, those just kind of don't 
don't really fit outside of there. And so that's, that's why they're there, not there now. And so um, generally a, a relocation like that in many cases is not going to be effective anyway. And so um, it's just not something we can, we can really do there. So, um, but again, in, in general, you know, there's not, not a provision to, to trap and move move wildlife around. So okay. that would be too illegal. much danger of spreading disease and that can be an issue. Yeah. yeah. And then just the you know, the the things getting out of hand potentially, you know, just uh, moving things around and things that don't belong belong in certain places and, and then again as you mentioned, they are animals and if you move them somewhere they might not like being there and might try to move back to wherever you moved them from originally. So it's a possibility. Uh, let's continue on. We've got uh, Sue from Beaumont on the line next. Good morning, Sue. Go ahead please. Hi. Uh, I heard something on MPB's uh, one of the afternoon programs about two weeks ago. And, by the way, the afternoon programs on MPB are some of the most interesting and informative shows I've ever heard. And uh, But, anyway, this, this researcher was talking about they had found that uh, the squirrels, some species of squirrels, were reservoir hosts for the leprosy bacteria. And I wondered if, if, you're, if your host there heard about that. I have not heard about that one. Um, I'm not aware of that. Um, again, I'm I'm not all um, disease type things. Is some not not always my area of expertise there. So there could be some things going on that I'm not aware of. But I have not not heard about that. Sue, do you remember where those squirrel <clears throat> populations were? No, and it was a certain type of squirrel. I don't know if it was red squirrel or gray squirrel, but there's one specific species of squirrel that they had found hmm. the leprosy bacteria that, because the researcher was talking about no disease ever really disappears they don't think it the the virus or bacteria just finds another host and there they were they found it in the squirrels the internet is a wonderful thing and since we've added a couple of computers into the control room i always can sound smart but i always give credit to the internet uh-huh. did a quick search cnn has an article that says medieval strain of leprosy discovered in uk squirrels so apparently oh, okay. uh, this is squirrels over in in uh, in the uk so uh, Sue, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you. Thanks for the kind words about our programming. Uh, as I said, it's been a busy day on the phone, so let's uh, stay on the line as we go f- again to Starkville. William has called in today. Good morning, William. Hi, William. Are you with us? All right. Let me put back on hold, see if we can't get that call worked out. In the meantime, uh, Caleb is on the line. Good morning, Caleb. Go ahead, please. Hi. I just want to say I love the show. Listen to you guys every week. Great. Thanks. And I also wanted to ask, uh, maybe your host could touch on maybe some of the more rare or uncommonly seen species, maybe the fox squirrel and the chipmunks we have around the state. I'd like to hear more about their distribution, habitat, maybe interactions with each other. And so I'll, I'll hang up now and listen for comments. All right. Thanks for your call. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting question there. Um, uh, I guess the gray squirrel and fox squirrel we kind of hit on that we have um, – and of course, we have the flying squirrel as well. That is a non-game species. Um, the flying squirrel may be a little more common than a lot of people realize because they mostly come out at night. And so, you know, I had that question before sometime. Or, or, or uh, our flying squirrels in in, um, in peril on numbers. We just don't see that many of them. And well, that's um, that's kind of <laughs> kind of why you don't see them. Typically, they kind of come out a lot more at night. And so, they they actually have pretty good populations. Uh, most places from flying squirrels are generally not. Um, not threatened in any way there population-wise. Um, uh, the gray squirrel, of course, is found throughout the state. Um, pretty good numbers. Um, where you have mature forest, you're probably going to have some gray squirrels, um, you know, unless there's a really, really 
cut off somewhere just out really out in the middle of nowhere but um um, and then the fox squirrel that we touched on, we had the two subspecies in the Delta, of course, where you've got mature forest in the Delta region, generally have pretty good fox squirrel populations there. Um, the upland subspecies is a little bit uh, on decline in some areas. Um, we still see some fairly good numbers in some parts of the south part of the state. Um, some of the hill country here at the edge of the delta that kind of still have some land uses that are um, kind of favorable for their habitat and kind of what those those critters like there the upland fox squirrel is sort of a mix of open kind of country with woods um, they they want some trees to utilize but they actually spend a good bit of their time on the ground um, and they're twice the size of the gray squirrel they're a bigger bigger animal just a little bit different strategy um, and, and to some extent they probably kind of avoid some conflicts with the different species again the gray squirrel kind of utilizes some different different wood type cover some different uh, areas that they utilize and the fox squirrel kind of likes again those kind of open areas they like to see a long way um, again they kind of like to visually i think identify their their predators and all and so that's why they kind of like that more open forest structure you'll see them venture out pretty into some pretty open areas and fields and you know little pasture edges and orchards and things that are really open and so again, just a little bit different strategy with that that uh, particular fox squirrel subspecies there. And so I think they kind of avoid some conflicts to some extent there. Um, don't know that there's a tremendous amount of just direct competition or, or aggression or anything between those two. But typically, again, they kind of kind of partition themselves out a little bit. I think. Um, but uh, we have seen some probably population declines in that upland fox squirrel species. Don't have as many of them in places where we used to just because of the habitat changes, the, the way we use land and uh, manage our, our, our forest and things there. Now, you know, we don't have the prescribed fire and the, some of our farmland has gone away in some areas that would have kind of created a little more suitable habitat for those species. And so um, they're still holding on pretty strong in the prairie, though. That's one area you see a good many of them there. All right. that kind of ag and wood wood landscape there. So work this email in before our last break this hour. This is from Brittany in Tupelo who asks, can you feed squirrels in your backyard with small children and the squirrels not be aggressive? And she's meaning not touching, but possibly throwing nuts out or some sort of food and, and watching them uh, feed. Um, yes, I, I, you can do that, I guess. Um would they be more likely to maybe take the food and go off with it somewhere? I mean, probably would you actually... so. I mean, if, if there's going to be a lot of activity around, you're probably going to somewhat keep them kind of kind of shy it away. Uh, of course, in urban settings, they're a lot more used to people and uh, probably will get a lot more uh, <coughs> close to people and tolerate some human contact there. But I would not feed them close to your door. Yeah. Don't, uh, you don't want them right. ever coming to the door gnawing or begging, and then there's a chance of them running inside the house. So I would say away from the house if you're going to do it. And right, maybe on a platform would, so that they're mm, not. Right, you don't want them yeah. associating your back door with, hey, I'm hungry. I yes. got something here last yes. time, that kind of thing. Uh, good point. I had not thought about that. So maybe, again, uh, away from your house or if you have a park in your uh, neighborhood, maybe uh, try it and see what happens. Uh, but I, like I said, I would imagine that they might just grab it and head off to their 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 area where they can munch on it in peace. Uh, let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we got some more callers on the line. We are talking squirrels today with our guest, small game biologist Rick Hamrick. We'll be back to wrap up the program after this.
The election is over, and the nation has a new president, Donald Trump, and a new chapter in history has begun. We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will keep bringing you the best coverage from coast to coast to help you make sense of it all. So listen every day. Would you like to show your appreciation for the things in life you're thankful for? One way is to support MPB by donating a car. Running or not, your contribution will benefit our statewide mission. And you can get rid of an unwanted item. The donation is tax deductible. To donate or just to learn more, go to mpbonline.org. At our website, you can find details including tax benefits and same-day service. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield and Dr. Troy Major. And our guest this morning is small game biologist Rick Hamrick. We've been talking about squirrels this morning. And uh, Dr. Major just gave us something. If uh, After the program's over, if you want to listen to something that should be a lot of fun, uh, Ray Stevens, The Mississippi Squirrel Revival. You can find it on YouTube, uh, but it'll be a fun song and go along with what we've been talking about today. So if you've got some time, go ahead and check that out. Easy to find online with a quick search. Uh, back to the phones we go. We start again in Meridian. Mike has called in today. Good morning, Mike. Hello. How you doing? Good. What do you have for us? Chipmunks. Uh, I live in inside the city limits of Meridian, close to the uh, Meridian High School, and uh, chipmunks are all around in, in the lawns and everything. But I ask folks uh, uh, that live out in the country, uh, y'all have any problems with chipmunks? And they say, uh, what's that? Uh, and I have to describe it to them. Do chipmunks not live out in the wild? I have them in, in my on my property almost exclusively. I very seldom see a squirrel, but we see a lot of chipmunks. I think it's related to soil types. Do you know? Could, could be some of that. Um, of course, they like to kind of get in little crevices and, and different things and brush piles and stuff. I, I have seen them out in rural areas uh, as well. Uh, you know, some of it. I'm not sure. Maybe some of that. This mm-hmm. just they like certain conditions and just the the areas for them to hide. And that Ours kind of burrow, and they have they a mean, really extensive right. set of warrens. Like a, yeah. extensive burrows. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's but, the main thing. You know, you walk you know, in the you know, you, your toe is about to trip in the the holes they have the tunnels, uh-huh. uh, the tunnel or the foundation of the home. Plus, they're out on the lawn, you know, eating the acorns and nuts and whatnot. And you know, they and they stay on the ground. They uh, I've observed them uh, three or four or five at a time on the uh, lawns across the uh, neighbors' yards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're uh, well, they they're just uh, omnipresent. And then I like that I ask other folks about it, and they say, "Well, what are you talking about? Is that you talking about a squirrel? Is it a ground squirrel?" I have to describe it to them, and they got stripes on them, got a little short tail. Uh, no, I don't see that. And I said, "Well, it's all gone." I thought as as as. Uh, as many there are over here, I thought they would be just everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but apparently and, they don't. Uh, for some reason, they don't uh, out in the country or, or uh, well, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, and I'm in the country, and we do have them. Yeah, they're in our woods. There, so that it's. I think it is a soil type, a situation. Okay. Um, I, 
we just my observation. I kind of associate them with the the Lurs windblown soils mm-hmm. where I live because I'm right on the edge of that. But, yeah, yeah, they they're opportunists though if they've got a place that they can find a little place. I know we we had a uh, patio and uh, we're enclosing that area on one of the houses, and you would be surprised. And of course, that was red clay under that patio, and they had extensive tunnels. All up under there. Uh, really? They, yeah, were, they, were kind of, they were kind of mad at us when we pulled <laughs> that concrete up. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, I think they, then, you know, they like, they like. these tunnels. I, I know uh, there's, you know, I'll, wait, uh, I'll, I'll see one out there. He'll go, he'll run, he'll see me run along. Also, he'll disappear into the, the lawn, the, the ground. Right. And there's a hole there. I'm sure there's another hole somewhere else. Yeah. Do your dogs? Do you have dogs? My dogs love to 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 <laughs> try to catch them. Myself. I, yeah. We get a stray cat every once in a while. I don't own any cats, but maybe. But it, you know, those squirrels are fast, and uh, yeah, the cats that have a hard time getting after them. But uh, I've heard there's some dogs that like to to root for them. Yeah, it's endless entertainment for my dogs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. All right, Mike, uh, thanks for your call. Let's go next to uh, William in Starkville on the line. Good morning, William. Uh, good morning. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, a question that you can answer after I make a comment. Uh, about this time of year, as leaves are falling, <coughs> I hear a super high-pitched squeak in the trees about sunset. And uh, I've always, I never was able to identify it and wondered whether or not that might be flying squirrels. And we have many of them around, but it's a very, very high-pitched squeak. But the comment I wanted to make was that, that um, uh, you shed light on an interesting uh, uh, situation that I encountered and, and discovered, my cat discovered the first, the second, excuse me, the second truffle in North America about 25 years ago, we took it to Dr. Ray Watson at uh, uh, at the Mississippi State University, and in a couple of weeks, he identified it as as having been the only notice, and we published the story. But uh, uh, you mentioned that squirrels go after uh, uh, fungi, and it suddenly occurs to me: I wonder if a squirrel found this under a pecan tree, where. Modern research has shown that that these fungi, that the truffles apparently appear in pecan orchards. But anyway, it was a little hole in the ground, and my cat was uh, hovering over it with great curiosity. And when I went over to to look at it and saw the uh, looked like a, a little new potato in the bottom of the hole, uh, it had this delightful aroma that was. It was hard to resist, and that's the reason I dug it up and took it to Dr. Watson and had it identified as a as a true truffle. But uh, anyway, I thought it might be of interest that, that maybe after having given the cat credit for digging up the truffle and the only recorded <laughs> experience of that, hogs and dogs being what they use traditionally in Europe for finding truffles, it might be interesting. Now maybe it was a squirrel that uh, the cat had driven off. Anyway, tell me about the high pitch week at the uh, at sundown in the in the fall. Thank you. All right, William. Thanks for the call. Any any thoughts? Uh, but well, I guess you know, not having having heard it and exactly what he's what he's referring to, that's a good good possibility that it's some some vocalizations from possibly flying squirrels or even squirrels will make some 
some little high pitch noises and communications and such. So, I, you know, it's again hard to say exactly without without hearing it exactly, knowing knowing exactly what it sounded like. But it's certainly a possibility. Uh, Let me have you. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking it could be a bird if it it's could, a could really high pitched, yeah. either a squirrel yeah. or a flying squirrel or a bird would be my guess exactly. Um, those little kinglets make that mm-hmm. tiny yeah. high pitched sound that mm-hmm. a lot of people with hearing loss can't hear. Yeah, that's hard to, and it could be more than one thing. That's right, right. yeah. Uh, so we got uh, just about a minute and a half or so left. If you could, uh, um, Rick, tell us a little bit about uh, squirrel hunting season. Oh, well, we're we're in squirrel hunting season right now. Um, a few years ago, uh, we uh, went to a single statewide squirrel season. Um, I think folks are starting to kind of kind of get that figured out now. It maybe caused a little confusion early on, but um, we did go ahead and just try to simplify the season a little bit and equalize the opportunities um went ahead and and started squirrel season with an october 1st opener um that was approved there for statewide um um, kind of throughout the the history of our hunting seasons just kind of bounced around a good bit and so uh varied a good bit over time but um that's what we went to now as a single statewide opener and so no longer no longer have the zones um a lot of that kind of initially revolved around that bot fly larvae we talked about earlier um to try to minimize some of the occurrence from the north to south part of the state um but uh, again we're trying to just kind of educate folks to to say you know again there's nothing wrong with that meat and so again if you if you do harvest a squirrel that has that it's nothing nothing wrong with the meat there you can still use that and so all right um, and so when does squirrel season end it ends february 28th um, all right. of course that's by state statute um so february 28th is when it ends and we also do now have a spring season um that started several years ago um may 15th to june 1st is um, the spring season uh, had some folks that had some interest in that probably don't have just a tremendous amount of people utilizing that season but again we we kind of got to looking at it it was a fairly inactive reproductive time and uh, was suitable to to go ahead and have a season there for folks that wanted to utilize that. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Funding is provided in part by the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science Foundation and contributions from listeners like you. Thanks to our producer, Jonas Adams, and our call screener today was Sam Wells. For Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and Rick Hamrick, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. 